morning church. It's certainly a delight to be here with you worshiping this morning. A delight to be here to share with you in this your education day. In fact, you had a week of education experiences, and we're glad that we are here to share with you. Let me thank Pastor King and the education team for inviting me along today. Yes, I gleaned this morning and that you have been this week celebrating Education Week using the theme, Tap into the Vine, Bear Fruit and Reap the Kingdom, quite a theme. And the texts that will undergird my brief presentation today will be Proverbs 22. Six, train up the child in the way he should go, and the way when he's old, he will not depart from it, as well as Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 9, which was so ably presented in scripture reading. Let us pray. Our Father, we are so glad that we can work beside you in training lives for time and eternity. Please fellowship with us today, we pray, in Jesus' name. One of the distinguishing features of the Seventh-day Adventist Church is that it fosters a brand of education which is Adventist and Christian. It trains the life, it trains the nation, and kingdom building. You see, the Seventh Adventist Church recognizes that God, the Creator and Sustainer of the Earth and the entire universe, is the source of all knowledge and wisdom. In His image, God created man perfect. Because of sin, Man lost his original state. And Christian education, by perfecting faith in Christ, restores man in the image of his maker to nurture in man an intelligent dedication to the work of God on earth and for continuous service to his fellow man. This brand of education is akin to that established by Samuel. And at that time, they were referred to as schools of the prophets. In the book, Patriarchs and Prophets, on page 593, the main objectives of those schools were highlighted. One, serve as a barrier against widespread corruption, provide for the spiritual and welfare, spiritual and moral welfare of the youth, as well as to promote the future prosperity of the nation by furnishing it with men and women qualified to act in the fear of God as leaders and counselors. The objectives articulated back then are very relevant and pertinent our circumstances today. Relevance is apparent in as much as Seventh Adventists boast some 
700,000 schools around the world. The Kingsway High School, New Hope Prep, and the Northern Caribbean University are included in that number. In looking at the objectives separately, serving as a barrier against widespread corruption, we are admonished in Isaiah 54 and verse 13, and all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. The Amplified Version renders it this way, and all your children shall be disciples taught by the Lord and obedient to his will. Great shall be the peace and undisturbed composure of your children. We have come to a time when our children are becoming endangered species. They are preyed upon sometimes by their own sick, uncorrupt parents and guardians. Some teachers take advantage of their trust, and there are those who perpetrate acts of violence against these children who are domiciled in their very communities and sometimes even schoolmates turn on peers for one reason or another resulting in death and maiming and these are very sad indeed we have come to serious times as it relates to our children and youth when children are taught of the Lord, there is hope and there is peace. They know they have a friend to whom they can turn in times of difficulty. There are godly parents who can pray for them and lead them to the foot of the cross. They also have godly teachers who can also lead them to Jesus Christ. When these efforts are made, they are being fortified against the corrupting practices that are so pervasive in our society. The crassness and the coarseness in our society, the disrespect and flagrant disregard for principles are sadly sometimes evident among our children and young people in our church and in our schools. And at times we find this to be quite painful. Not so long ago I was at an event where this, one of these students to, who should be graduating, a young man, turned up with his trousers someplace, his waist of his trousers someplace between his waist and his buttocks. And a pastor came up and said to him, young man, pull your trousers up. And he decided to straighten up his chest. But the pastor held his ground. If you plan to march today, you do that. And he stood there and, yes, the young man responded. Quite often, we stand by and allow this kind of nonsense to go on. But as leaders, we have a responsibility to 
train, not only are parents, not only are biological parents called upon to train students, but to train young people. The church has a responsibility in doing so. And we have got to help to put an end to this kind of foolishness. But on the other hand, if this attempt were made to correct in other schools, the result could be different. And we could have a teacher attacked, as happened this week, I think, in St. Thomas, where the teacher was, as it were, mauled by students. When I watch news and listen, also, I'm aggrieved at some of the atrocities in which children and young people are involved. And a society appears to be almost powerless to deal with some of these atrocities. Then there's a matter of seeming hopelessness in children. Evidence of this is a matter of children taking their lives. My heart was so saddened when I learned of those two young girls who took their lives by hanging those weeks ago. What could cause children to take their lives in such a way? Is it that they are being abused? Have life challenges become too much for them at such an early age? Were they stressed? Could they find help or not find help? Are the parents and the church as nurturing as they should be? Questions would go on. Does the church and by extension the society provide for the spiritual moorings and moral welfare of youth? These are questions that we can go on asking. You know, brethren. As I articulated these different ideas, there is a place for the admonition given in Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 to 9. I'm going to read that again. In these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. I'll stop here for the minute. Where should we teach them? Quite often, when the word teach is mentioned, our minds run swiftly to school. And yes, that is one of the entities where education is to take place, but it is not and cannot be the only place. Education ought to begin in the home. Somebody mentioned about, we many times just think about formal education, but there's a place for education in the home. It is in the home that the child first learns about obedience, about self-discipline, 
about self-control. It's, it's the place where they first learn about Jesus. I believe if the home takes seriously its responsibilities for the problems we have in society, we would not have them. And sadly, I am to say that in our schools, and I'm speaking from experience, that's what I've done all my life. And sometimes what pains me even more is the fact that some of the children from our homes or their church are the ones who give the most problems. And I'm going to appeal to you and to ourselves that we do what we can to strengthen and to encourage the hands of our teachers and our educators. I was happy for that prayer this morning, sister, because as educators, apart from wanting to be good models ourselves, we need patience and strength and a lot of God, a lot of God to contend with some of the things that we face in, in our schools and in our institutions. Hannah took time to groom Samuel. In fact, she was childless for a long time. And she endured the taunt of her arrival. She prayed earnestly to God, and God gave her a child. Samuel asked of God, and she trained him in the knowledge and admonition of God. And then it was time for her to take him to the temple to hand over to Eli. The same Eli who, while she prayed, thought she was drunk. She took the youngster to the temple and leave him there. The influence of Eli's sons was far from good. And although their practices were not in keeping with the guidelines and they were older, Young Samuel remembered the guidelines taught to him by his godly mother. Your children also in these times can be like Samuel's. They can stand for what they are taught. Of course, there's also Joseph. Despite the fact that Jacob did not do it so right, Joseph, when he was sold in a strange land, was able to stand for truth. Home training is important. When Potiphar's wife made those advances to him, he left his jacket or his shirt in her hand and fled and uttered the immortal words, how can I do this great wickedness? and sin against my God. How many young men today, I wonder, and probably adult men, would be able to stand up against such, against such a temptation and to say, how can I sin against God? Not for the moment, not for a moment of whatever. But you want to stand for God, though the heavens fall. And so we want to have our young people, our young men and our young ladies. There's Esther, who, when... 
the Jews. Lives were threatened. She went to her God in prayer. Uttering the words, if I perish, I perish. We need to have our young people standing up for what is right. So education ought to begin in the home. Esther was trained by Mordecai, Joseph by his parents, and of course Samuel by his mother. It all began in the home. The church should then build on what is started in the home. And the school should build on those pillars, pillars that have been established. And so the programs we plan in our church, that dedication weeks program you had just now, the Sabbath school programs that you plan from time to time are among the ways of diligently teaching the children and young people. And you know, the young is not only the children and the young people. They are new converts, and they are themselves, like children, need to be nurtured by the admonition of the Lord. The training received by the Pathfinder and the Adventurers are ways of imprinting on their minds the love of Jesus. The Adventist youth programs and having to imbibe the AY law, pledge, and motto are also ways of teaching our children. They are being taught values of honesty, integrity, self-respect, and confidence, and are being able to develop positive self-esteem as they register these aspects in the minds and a love for their creator. I challenge you to begin to continue to build on these very vital aspects of the church's mission. You see members, parents, and guardians. We have quite an army of workers as our youth and a rightly trained will how soon might furnish. The message of a risen and soon coming Savior might be carried to the world. How soon may the end come, the end of suffering and sorrow and sin. And this is found in Education, page 271. As we continue the work of training intentionally our young people in this way, the theme on which you have been focusing this week, tap into the vine, bear the fruit, reap the kingdom, will indeed become a reality. There's one aspect that I must emphasize, connected to the home as I mentioned earlier. As we seek to bolster the spiritual and moral welfare of our children and young people, and this cannot be overemphasized, and this is also implied in Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 to 9, is building the family altar. It is very crucial and critical, especially in these times, that the family altar be built. I was a child about five when our father would lead us in worship in our home. 
Her mother had not yet embraced the faith. But every morning, her father would call us to the family altar and would hear him pray for each of us, calling us by name. And one of the first hymns I recall singing those moons ago, because I'm not young, is the hymn 520 in the present hymnal. A wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. A wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock, where rivers of pleasure I see. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love and covers me there with his hand. Over the years, this song has meant so much to me. And I could recall how safe we felt when as children we heard our names called especially in prayer. Needless to say, when we went to school, we could not but conduct ourselves as Jesus would have us do. Brothers and sisters, maintaining the family altar is critical to saving our homes and by extension, our children and our family. I know that because of our very schedule and hard work, Sometimes we tend to neglect this very vital aspect. But can I invite you and implore you, especially now, that you ask God for strength to keep you focused and to keep you on course. The children need to be kept before God. They go out. This week one was kidnapped from school. Sometimes they are being waited for outside. You want to ensure as best as you can that when they leave home, they are in the safe hands of God. The church's thrust for the next quinquennium, the 7, 7, 7 prayer, 7 in the morning, 7 in the evening, 7 days per week, I think is something that we need to take seriously. We need to keep our knees on the carpet. Yes, we need to do so. We need to pray constantly to God so that we can have revival and reformation in our homes. And the revival and reformation is in our homes it will of necessity find itself in our church. To me, the church is everything. I believe that whatever I'll ever be comes because of my connection to God and to his church. You see, the church transmits Christian ideals, values, habits, and customs. It fosters character building. And this is affirmed in the book Education, page 57, and I quote, The greatest want of the world is the want of men. And this is men in the generic sense. Men will not be bought or sold. Men who in their inmost souls are true and honest. Men who do not fear to call sin by its right name. Men whose conscience is as true to duty as a needle to the pole. Men who will stand for the right, though the heavens fall. This is a product that the brand of education fosters by your church, seeks to foster, and by the grace of God, there are yields. 
And in this way, we're contributing to the future prosperity of our nation. It means, therefore, that there has to be a difference in the student taught of the Lord, whether it's be in a Christian school or in public schools. Public schools, too, because our church will never be able to employ all the teachers that we produce. And so, if you as a teacher are in a state school, students who sit in front of you should find you different from other teachers, the way you conduct yourselves, the way you dress, your speech. And so there's a place for the Christian teacher in the public school. In our Christian schools, we expect that this will even more so be facilitated. Little wonder then that when our students from the university go out on internship situations in the various disciplines, whether that's industrial technology or health, name a few areas, they usually offer employment at the end of their internship. Force callers to tell us that they are very pleased with them in terms of their punctuality, their respect, and so forth. And we feel very happy because these are the goals and the aspirations that we work towards. And we are glad that they're helping to maintain their side of the partnership. The education we espouse helps to change direction for the better. How often have we seen young people drifting, just drifting, but they come to find Jesus Christ and then they want something better for themselves. Yes, they cease drifting with the seeming tide of non-direction and having found and accepted Christ, they want to make a turn for the better. We see that all the time at the university, Amadine and Marshall. We see them. And many times our hearts thrill within us when we see them giving their lives to Christ and making a right about turn. Yes, the church does give direction through the programs it provides and it certainly gives a sense of purpose. I believe that the best way to get young persons to tap into the vine so that they can bear fruit is to lead them by example. Model for them in our attitude and demeanor and action or Christian scruples. Be consistent in your witness so that they'll have no doubt as to who you work with or for whom you stand. Do not practice double standards because this will cause them to be confused and will cause them to stumble. Sometimes new members also stumble because we're not being as consistent as we should. It's not just the young people. Our colleagues, our peers also need to see us being consistent. Sometimes we have weak persons persons who are still struggling. Because, you see, the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more. And so people are at different stages in their climb. And who knows whether someone is looking to you as a model. Please endeavor to be consistent in what you're doing. In your Christian scruples, 
in your lifestyle, and in whatever you do representing Jesus Christ. I would want to encourage, therefore, our parents, our leaders, our elders, and our teachers to remember that as you walk, you are leaving footprints for the children and youth to follow. Do leave solid footprints. This is one of one way to do your part in helping them to reap the kingdom. In closing, there's a poem I'd like to read for you entitled, The Shipbuilder. An old man was going a lone highway, came in the evening cold and gray to a chasm vast and deep and wide. The old man crossed in the twilight dim the swollen stream had no fear for him, but then he turned when safe on the other side and built a bridge to span the tide. Old man, said a fellow passing by, why waste you your time in building here? Your journey will end in the ending day. You never again will pass this way. You have crossed the chasm vast and deep and wide. Why build ye this bridge at evening time? The builder lifted his old gray head. Dear friend, in the path I have come, he said, there followeth after me today a youth whose feet must pass this way. This chasm that was as naught to me, to this fair-haired youth may a pitfall be. He too must cross in the twilight dim. Good friend, I'm building a bridge for him. You too have followers, brethren. What kind of bridges are you building for them? The question then must be, as you build bridges for your young children and youth, what kind of builders are you? What material are you putting into the construction of the bridge you're building? Is it integrity? Is it honesty? Is it love for one another? Is it kindness? Is it politeness? Remember, you're building for others to cross over. Certainly, if you build correctly, bearing fruit will result, and the goal of reaping the kingdom will be achieved by God's grace. As you continue to train children for nation and kingdom building, it is my prayer that this ideal, articulated in the text Psalm 144 and verse 12, will be experienced. And I read this for you, that our sons and our daughters may be as plants grown up in their youth, that our daughters may be as cornerstones polished after the similitude of a palace. May God bless your efforts to this end. Amen.